Hey everybody, this is Brian Zimmerman. And this is Matt McCucci. And you're listening to Jazz Is Crate Digging. Good morning to you, Matt Micucci. Good morning, Brian, and good morning, everyone. It's good to be back on Crate Digging, as usual. This week, we'll be talking about a music concept style genre movement from one of the most intense times in jazz history, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. This uh, We'll be talking about an interesting little uh, tributary in the current that is jazz history. Uh, we'll be talking, of course, about third stream music. Yeah. Fascinating topic. And uh, yeah, people listening, if you're new to this show, the idea behind it is it's, uh, it's kind of a throwback to those record store times, right? Where you'd be hanging out with friends in a record store, recommending real albums, uh, not having, uh, you know, the algorithm do it for you or some streaming service try to figure out what you like. Uh, so every week on the show, we come up with a theme and uh, yeah suggest a handful of album recommendations based on that theme and like we said today we're talking third stream exactly yeah third stream uh, like i said was kind of an interesting phenomena in jazz appeared in the mid 50s um as kind of an amalgamation between jazz and classical music now of course you could argue that these two forms of music were conversing as far back as the inception of jazz um, and, you know, jazz people are passionate. Uh, so we've been having this conversation about third stream for a while. This genre, as we know it, third stream really came into being in the 1950s. Uh, more specifically, it, the term was born out of a lecture by uh, composer, French hornist, scholar, writer, journalist, Gunther Schuller uh, in 1957. As a way to describe uh, this, what was essentially new music, and he made it very clear uh, in lectures from that time that he didn't consider third stream merely jazz players playing classical, or classical players playing jazz, or you know Ravel set to a swing beat, or bebop cha- changes played with an orchestra. He made it very clear that this was something new. Uh, hence the term third stream. It's not a combination of these two forms of music, jazz and classical. This is a separate offshoot. This is a third stream. Uh, Gunther Schuller is perhaps the most well-known practitioner and advocate of third stream, but so many iconic artists kind of got wrapped up in this phrase during that time. Miles Davis, Gil Evans, Bill Evans, Charles Mingus, even Duke Ellington, you know, shades of third stream there. So this is a much talked about uh, genre, kind of micro genre in jazz. And we've each selected five of our favorite third stream albums to discuss on this show. Isn't that right, Matt? That's right. Uh, Actually, yeah, I wanted to say that for today's list, I've actually chosen albums from the time that is most closely associated with the birth of third stream. Uh, But I was also tempted to kind of mention George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue (laughs) as a noteworthy predecessor, for example, uh, as well as, you know, the music of Bela Bartok, which kind of uh, helped originate Third Stream in the first place. Instead, I just decided to use up some of my slots to also talk about how Third Stream evolved in later years. And some of my records actually defy what Gunther Schuller uh, said in that famous kind of uh, manifesto, as I like to call it, of Third Stream. 
That's right. Well, that's why we keep you around, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and on that note, I will will let you go first. Um, yeah, right. If you want to give us your first album recommendation, let's sure. kick things off. So my first pick is an album by one of the most iconic and historic quartets in all of jazz history. I'm talking about the modern jazz quartet uh, that brought forth music influenced by classical, cool jazz, blues and bebop. Uh, the album that I chose, I could have picked Manny, but I went with Django, uh, the tracklist of which was actually assembled from a number of sessions at Rudy Van Gelder's studio from 1953 to 1955. And it definitely represents all that delicate percussion sonorities and innovations in jazz forms just beautifully. But it also includes uh, the stunning title track written by the group's pianist and musical director John Lewis, uh, one of my favorite compositions actually, written in memory of the great Django Reinhardt. All right, and here is that track, Django. Absolutely beautiful stuff there. Yeah, John Lewis was a major figure in Third Stream as well, as we should mention. And you'll see him throughout this list. Nice pick, Matt. Way to start us off. Uh, I started uh, a little on the nose, Matt. I went with kind of, uh, you know, the figurehead of, of Third Stream, that being Gunther Schuller. I selected a compilation from 1988 uh, called Jumpin' in the Future. Uh, this is quite a famous compilation. It collected songs from written by Gunther Schuller from roughly 1947 into the mid 1960s, um, and it's it's signature Gunther Schuller stuff. It's very brassy, as I mentioned. Gunther Schuller was a horn player, um, and he did some exceptional writing for brass um, and brass quartets. Um, the track I chose is the title track, and it features uh, Gunther Schuller working with Howard Johnson and Howard Johnson's orchestra, Orange Then Blue. Now, Howard Johnson was a, a pioneering tubist in jazz. He was a tuba player along with some other black brass instruments, uh, but was really known for making the tuba a vital instrument in jazz. And he passed away this year, unfortunately. He passed away in January uh, of 2021. Uh, so it's nice to hear him again here with his orchestra, Orange Then Blue. But anyway, here is the title track from the compilation Jumpin' in the Future by Gunther Schuller. <laughs> Thank you. 
right. Yeah, I feel like I've jumped into the future, all right? <laughs> all right. All right. It's we'll my turn. The next album is your turn. My turn, my turn. Okay, so my next album is uh, by Jacques Lucier. It's called Playback Number One. Okay, so uh, one of the things that I discovered when researching for this podcast is that France had a great and has a great third stream scene. And uh, one of its major exponents, it was pianist uh, Jacques Lucier. And so we talked about in the introduction how Gunther Schuller's um, had this manifesto, so to speak, of third stream. One of the entries on his list of what third stream is not stated that third stream is essentially not classical music played by jazz players. Uh, but I, I choose not to take this entry uh, by the letter because um, I feel it has more to do with the note-by-note playing that characterizes classical music generally and differentiates it from the more spontaneous approach that jazz musicians have. Anyways, all that to say that, indeed, Lucier is uh, best known for just that, for arranging jazz interpretations of many of the works of uh, some classical composers like Vivaldi, but most importantly, uh, Johann Sebastian Bach. So much so that his trio from this time was known as Le Trio Play Bach. Uh, <laughs> which is uh, which is a great name for any trio, but they uh, were a huge commercial success, and this was actually the the first recording of Lucier versions of Bach compositions, and uh, it was released in fifty nine, and it was the first to catch the public's imagination. So, wonderful stuff. Very cool. Here is Prelude Number One. Exactly. And I, and I also f- find that it just makes it sound super modern. I wasn't as familiar with Jacques Lucier, so uh, thanks for the introduction. My next pick is one you are no doubt familiar with. Probably a lot of you listening are no doubt familiar with. I mentioned his name earlier. It is the one, the only Charles Mingus. And uh, perhaps one of his most acclaimed, one of his most famous albums ever, that being The Black Saint and The Sinner Lady from 1963. Um, This album, as you know, Matt, uh, was written written at least partially as a ballet uh, or, you know, written and intended to be a ballet. It is one continuous composition uh, broken up into six movements. And like Third Stream, you know, it does incorporate, you know, jazz, but also integrates elements of African music and uh, Spanish themes. Writing for ballet, much like writing for other forms of theater or writing for the stage, it interweaves a lot of 
artistic elements. You know, it is narrative, it's visual, it's kinetic. And for me, this album, The Black Saint and The Sinner Lady, just excels in every regard. Uh, the big achievement for me behind this album is that like Duke Ellington and like Louis Armstrong, and like Charlie Parker before him, Mingus was really making the statement here that this music has artistic merit in and of itself, you know, and not really in relation to any other form of music or any other, you know, art form. Um, but that this music, call it jazz, call it whatever you want, you know, has some real standing, has some real merit in the world. Um, so for that reason and many more, uh, it is one of the most famous, one of the most iconic jazz albums of all time. Also one of my favorites. Uh, I've selected for my track here, uh, Duet Solo Dancers, which is the second uh, movement in this suite. Here it is. To me, Matt, you know, that's not jazz trying to sound like a ballet, you know? That's not jazz trying to sound like anything else. That is a jazz ballet. That is a unique thing. It is a beautiful thing. That's right. God, I love that album. The great Charles Mingus. That's right. Yeah. All right, Brian. So for my next pick, I'm going to continue on with my praise of the French third stream uh, jazz scene because it's kind of, I've really been digging it as I was researching for this podcast. So I have to at least mention one more album that I wasn't actually familiar with, but it's by Andre Hoder and it's called Jazz A Jazz. Uh, and it's from 1963. So we should mention uh, one of the things that Third Stream defines Third Stream, I think, is its use of instruments that were more closely associated with uh, classical music. Uh, well, André Hoder was primarily a violinist and he brought his classical Conservatoire de Paris uh background to jazz and other genres in his lifetime, in his career, uh, in his musical musical oeuvre. And, um, and that led to surprising innovations, some of which I feel are spectacular. For example, this particular album's title track, uh, to me, recalls the art of sampling music, possibly even predating it by several years. Uh, anyways, on this album, you'll also find Hoder referring to vocal compositions as cantatas and using several classical music techniques and flautando harmonics like those we hear in the track I have chosen and that opens the album and it's titled Flautando. <laughs> ¶¶ 
awesome. That's beautiful, right? <laughs> yeah. Like a kind of flock of birds going exactly. by whistling some <laughs> jazz tunes. Uh, very cool, Matt. Thanks for sharing that. My next album is also a, it's another compilation, which I know is cheating a little, but I hope you'll forgive me um, because this is a big one, you know, and a kind of must have for any collector of third stream albums. It is called The Birth of Third Stream. Um, and it was issued in 1996, but it collects recordings from the height of the third stream era, many of which are like out of print now, right. um, including tracks from the famous modern jazz concert from 1957, which again, uh, many people describe as kind of the origin point for third stream. Uh, that was a live concert overseen by Gunther Schuller, George Russell, um, you know, among others. But this compilation in particular is fascinating because it features uh, some of the early third stream work of trombonist J.J. Uh, Johnson, you know, who a lot of people know for his work as a bebopper. And he certainly was, I mean, one of the first musicians to kind of uh, apply bebop techniques to the trombone. But he was also a brilliant composer, uh, especially in the classical vein. And so for my selection, I chose his composition, uh, Poem for Brass, which actually features uh, Matt Miles Davis. Um, it, it's not the only track to feature Miles Davis um, on this album, um, but I just really wanted to highlight J.J. Johnson's writing here because, again, while he is regarded as a pioneer in bebop, as well he should be, I think it's important um, that we also kind of illuminate uh, his work in Third Stream. So here is his track from that compilation. Here is Poem for Brass. some really interesting voicings there. I mean, some of that sounds like it could have come out of, you know, Mahler or Wagner. Right. You know, and again, that's that's J.J. Johnson. But a lot of great musicians featured on this compila compilation as composers, uh, you know, Jimmy Jufri, Charles Mingus. Um, so this is definitely a compilation worth seeking out. All right. So, uh, okay, of all of the albums I've chosen for this podcast today, this one, my next pick is probably the best known one. It's from uh, Eric Dolphy, and it's out there. This album was released in 1961, and first of all, has an amazing lineup with uh, Ron Carter on cello, uh, George uh, Duvivier on bass, and Roy Haynes on drums. And I consider Dolphy to be one of the true visionaries and pioneers of jazz music, constantly exploring uh, the genre, moving it forward, 
That's that's also why I find this album to be attuned to third streams innovations, but also the avant-garde and free jazz innovations uh, of the time. Uh, I've also often found his work to have kind of this pictorial quality. To me, rather than just being dreamlike, they're often downright surreal. Uh, and on this particular record that features kind of four of his original compositions and covers uh, he's heard on alto sax, clarinets and the flute uh, sadly though as many of us know Duffy's life was shockingly short as I've seen the New Yorker put it uh, details of his death are still disputed to this day what we do know is that he was just 36 when he passed away and you know, God only knows what directions jazz might have taken had he lived longer. Uh, though we are equally certain that his legacy and influence lives on to this day. Also thanks to records of his like Out There. That's for sure, Matt. And here is the title track from that record. Here is Out There. just love that i love how he doubles the melody with the strings uh, otherworldly um, and you know yes. to me it's almost like looking at a painting by salvador dali <laughs> it's that kind yeah, of yeah and the album cover is very dali-esque we exactly. should mention on this one you know, <laughs> yeah very much out there for the next album on my list so yeah i went with another one that is kind of you know kind of an essential addition to any collection of third stream albums again we, we said john lewis would be making an appearance on this list multiple times here he is again uh my album is john lewis presents contemporary music um and the title of the album is jazz abstractions it's from 1960 and i included it um not only because i think it might be you know among the most accessible albums for third stream albums for let's say the pure jazz aficionados but also just because of the sheer star power on this recording, Matt, it, you know, it featured some of the brightest minds of jazz from that era. You know, so in addition to Lewis, of course, you have Ornette Coleman, you have Eric Dolphy, Bill Evans, Jim Hall, Scott LaFaro, many, many more. And the album manages to retain all of their idiosyncratic sounds because we're talking about, you know, many unique visions in that, hmm. in that handful of names I just mentioned. But at the same time, you know, through John Lewis's compositions and arrangements, he manages to weave them into something whole and new and original. I This was actually quite a popular, relatively popular album for a third stream jazz record back in the day. Um, and it definitely stands the test of time. I'm sure you'll hear why. Here is my selection from that album. It is variants on a theme of Thelonious Monk. Thank you. 
I should mention that is variant one in the suite that is uh, variants on a theme by Thelonious Monk. Uh, and compositions uh, for this album are, uh, of course, you know, Gunther Schuller makes an appearance again, and also Jim Hall, you know, pioneering guitarist Jim Hall, also kind of foundational in this third stream movement. And yeah, the compositions on this record are by Mr. Schuller and Jim Hall. Awesome. There's something cinematic about that music as well, I found. Absolutely. And I, and I love that, you know, John Lewis, Gunther Schuller, Jim Hall, they took the whole notion of variations on a theme, you know, which is a trope in classical music and are applying it here toward a, another worthy genius, uh, Thelonious Monk. Oh, it's time for my final pick. Can you believe it, Brian? Right. Uh, well, know. you know, I wanted to kind of get away from the from the 60s a little bit because I think all of my picks were from that era. <laughs> and I wanted to kind of come to more recent times, a more recent album, relatively anyways, that um, uh, would show kind of to me how in the following decades that spirit of innovation, that third stream carried in the 60s survived in the music of later musicians. And so again, uh, I picked one from the uh, European continent. Uh, this one is by Franco Ambrosetti, uh, who is a flugelhornist, a trumpeter, a composer, uh, and he's kind of considered one of the finest jazz artists to have ever come out of Switzerland. His 1991 album, Music for Symphony and Jazz Band, which kind of is a straightforward title as they come, <laughs> is one of the finest blends of jazz and classical music of its time. And it's performed by the NDR Radio Orchestra Hanover. I think at times in this album, you can actually hear the influences of the orchestras of uh, Charles Mingus, which uh, we heard earlier, and Duke Ellington, who were kind of, to me, precursors to the uh, third stream movement or perhaps even originated it without knowing it (laughs) but definitely also later embraced it so anyways Ambrosetti with this record shows that third stream isn't just a style that's attached to a specific period in history and that's kind of what I feel too it's something that was there before Schuller came up with this theory in the mid 50s and uh, continues to live for example in the works of Ambrosetti but also I find in some of the music that ECM Records is putting out among other labels for example I mean it's alive and well That's right, Matt. And uh, the track you have chosen is Close Encounter. Let's give it a listen. seeing from the album cover that would be uh, saxophonist greg osby featured on there yes right very cool nice pick matt um okay i guess that uh leaves it to me to close things out 
I too attempted to bring this uh, third stream idea into the modern era, contemporary times. And by that, I mean 1994. Um, <laughs> That's so, contemporary times to us. <laughs> close enough, yeah. Um, so my final album is by saxophonist Joe Lovano. It is called Rush Hour. As I mentioned, release in 1994 is a great Blue Note release. And it featured Joe Lovano in the presence of an orchestra conducted uh, and arranged by... Once again, Gunther Schuller. Um, now, the program itself is a mix of standards and originals by Schuller. And with the curation of those tracks, Lovano certainly pays tribute to the third stream, you know, icons who paved the way. Mingus, Ellington, Strayhorn, Monk, Ornette Coleman, all the people we mentioned earlier in the podcast. Uh, but the originals are exceptional and I chose a track that I think highlights why. It's called Rush Hour on 23rd Street. And for me, you know, as I mentioned earlier, so much of classical music is written, you know, for the stage, whether for an opera or a ballet, uh, with a purpose of evoking a sense of place, evoking a, a scene, establishing a sense of drama. Uh, and this track that I pick, I think certainly does. It's called Rush Hour on 23rd Street. And uh, yeah, for me, it's just a clear example of how jazz, too, uh, has the power to put you in a place, to create a narrative, to create a scene. Um, you're listening to this track, you know exactly how it feels to be stuck in traffic during rush hour on 23rd Street. So let's go ahead and listen to the track. close my eyes i can really feel like i'm stuck in traffic yeah you feel the rage <laughs> oh. <laughs> no it's great well, it's great i love it yes uh this whole list was great uh, i enjoyed this episode matt absolutely um, yeah and for those listening if you have any recommendations uh third stream albums you think we should check out please let us know on facebook on twitter um and aside from that please visit us on jazzes.com. Visit us online. A lot more happening at jazzes.com. Not, that's not only where we archive all of these uh, podcast interviews, but we've got a bunch of great stuff, you know, from, you know, interviews with your favorite artists to reviews of new albums. Uh, it's all on jazzes.com. Now you will need a, a subscription to read some of it. 
Uh, and there's never been a better time to subscribe than right now. Uh, all you have to do is go to jazzes.com, click the big red subscribe button in the top left corner, and you'll be well on your way. And I say it's never been a better time to subscribe, Matt, because right now we have uh, launched our Vinyl Club subscription. Uh, that means in addition to getting the magazine, getting the online access, getting the eight collector quality CDs that come with each magazine, we'll also be sending you a curated vinyl album directly to your house, curated by yours truly. Uh, me, our publisher, Michael Fagan. We put a lot of hard work into curating these albums for you. We've wrapped them in a custom Jack album cover designed by the Jazz's designer, uh, and we'll ship them directly to your house four times a year. All you have to do is sign up for the Jazz's Vinyl Club. Again, that's happening on jazzes.com. Uh, we should also mention, Matt, that today's episode was brought to you in part by NAD Electronics. NAD is renowned for its award-winning line of com- components for audio and home theater, which includes amplifiers, receivers, and turntables. To They gave us a tip, Matt, and this is helpful if you're joining the Vinyl Club. Uh-huh. To better care for your vinyl collection, NAD recommends storing your records vertically in a cool, dry place to prevent warping. Uh, by the way, Matt, this is cool. We are working with NAD Electronics to offer a custom Jazz's turntable uh, wrapped in a Jazz's design. It is one of a kind and it'll look great on your dresser or mantelpiece or credenza or wherever you keep your turntables. Um, It is completely free. No purchase necessary to enter. All you have to do is go to nadelectronics.com slash Jazz's turntable contest. Again, that's nadelectronics.com slash jazz's turntable contest, and you'll be entered for a chance to win, again, a custom-wrapped jazz's turntable. Wow. It's pretty cool, Matt. Pretty cool. So, yes, a lot of exciting stuff going on. Our summer issue is about to mail in June. Before that, we got our May digital issue, which is all about uh, Mac Avenue Records, kind of a game-changing jazz label. That'll all be up on our site next month. And like I said, there's never been a better time to subscribe. Uh, So head on over to jazzes.com and make sure you do it. Matt, that does it for this episode, man. That does it. I've had a great time, you know, talking about Third Stream, and I urge you all to join us again next week when we'll talk about the Fourth Stream. No, no, we won't do that. <laughs> That's right. The Fourth Dimension, maybe. Yeah. Um, all right, Matt. Pleasure talking to you as always. Pleasure. See you later, everyone. Bye bye. <laughs>